We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. And tonight is a lesson in obedience, it's a lesson in faith, and it's a lesson in how God is able to do the impossible. And I think for all of us here, uh, we all are facing situations that are impossible for us, but they're not for God. You know, we're facing situations where, you know, we don't know uh, how God can make any sense of this. And so, you know, maybe things won't change, but you've got to know that the Lord will take all these things that we think are, are just, uh, you know, absolutely bad. And he will make them good. And he will use this for his glory, no matter what it is that you're going through. You know, and God will open the windows of heaven and God will bless your life. The thing is, is that we got to stay focused. We must stay focused on Jesus Christ. You get your eyes on your circumstances. You get your eyes on yourself. You get your, your eyes on other people and I promise you that you will falter in your walk. But if you stay focused on the Lord, if you stay focused on the one who will never fail you, the King of Kings, I promise you, man, God is going to do a great work. And that's the promise that we have. Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see? And that's what we see through life and even in our study today as we dig through here. Look what it says in verse 24. It says, And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for Five shekels of silver. Now, if you remember, Israel's having a hard time with Syria. Uh, Syrians had sent a band of raiders and, uh, you know, God captured them through the guidance of Elisha just previous to this. But obviously it didn't, you know, you know, defeat the army. It was just some, kind of some raiders, kind of like some militia guys. And so now the nation of Syria is surrounding the capital city of Samaria. They're surrounding uh, this country here. They want to bring them down. And that's the way they would do it. If you were in a walled city, they would send the army and they would simply surround you and they would literally starve you to surrender. They would starve you to death or starve you to surrender. And so that's the situation that they're in right now. Things are so bad. It says right here, and again in verse 25, that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. I mean, there was no food. There was just no food for them to eat. To the point where, you know, who wants to eat a donkey's head? You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to eat a donkey's head. I remember growing up, my, uh, my uncle, he used to go on Sunday mornings, he used to go and get menudo, and he would get some uh, carnitas and some of the, the bread and stuff. And then he would get, like, I think it was a goat's head or something like that. You guys ever eat that stuff? Any of you here? That, that kind of stuff? To me, I'm like, man, that's weird that people would eat that, the eyes and all that. You know, but <laughs> here's a donkey's head. It's sold for uh, literally 
two pounds of silver. This is thousands of dollars, something only the rich people could afford. And then even like a, a, a dove's droppings. You guys know what that is, right? Okay, you guys know what that is? All right. <laughs> it's not pretty, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's a month of a man's wages, a whole month of a laborer's wages just to buy a cup of doves droppings and they say they could use it it kind of grind it up like be like salt or something i don't know how it tastes thank god i've never had to taste that you know i mean but but basically what they're saying is that just things are really really bad that's what they're saying right here and and you look at this right here the desperate conditions there in samaria and you just wonder man how could this happen to israel how how could this happen to god's people who even recently had experienced such a victory. And, and you know, when I read the text, i got to be careful. I don't want to read into it. Um, there's a very strong possibility that it was because of their sin, because they didn't turn to God. God had just shown them a great victory. And it's like, come on, you know, now you're going to serve the Lord, aren't you? And, they, and maybe they still weren't serving the Lord. Again, not crystal clear why. And a lot of times in our life, we don't know why for sure. I mean, we think, well, maybe it's because I blew it. Maybe it's because I was in sin, but I'm not 100% sure. You know, I think when God disciplines you, he'll tell you if you listen. And you would never spank your child and not tell him why. You know, again, we're not 100% sure. We're not always 100% sure. Sometimes I think it's a combination of both our sin, God's sovereignty, but no matter what it is, even if you can't put your finger on it as far as why, you don't have to worry too much about it. Of course, you want to get our life right with the Lord. But you know what? We just have to look up. And no matter where you are, God will bring victory. You know, right here we see things are pretty bad. They're, they're very bad. They're about as bad as it gets when you're eating a donkey's head and dove's droppings, right? This is very, very very bad, right? And, uh, and then we read, it even gets worse. Look at verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my Lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. And so now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And then he said, God, do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. And so, you know, you're forced into a place where you, maybe you have to eat a donkey's head or, or whatever, dove's droppings, and you're thinking it can't get any worse. And then you read something like this. You know, people eating people sometimes even murdering them, right, in order to survive. And it happens, you guys. You know, I have an article right here. I don't want to read it to you, but even today, 
If you were to go over to North Korea, the situation in North Korea is just crazy. The starvation, certain areas where they're literally murdering. There's articles, there's news uh, reports. You can watch them on CNN, on YouTube, of literally this type of thing actually happening. You know, and, and the only reason I mention that to you is because you've got to know it's real. And I, and I don't know about you, but when you, when, you ever, when you hear of someone eating someone, when you hear of a mom in that situation, all I'm trying to say is, that's about as bad as it gets. That's about as bad as it can possibly get. And I think what the Lord is trying to say right here is he's just trying to ministering to us, you know, in the sense that this should maybe turn our stomach and tell us that this is crazy. And so when the king finds out what this mom says and all these things, isn't it crazy? Look at verse 31. Then he said, God, do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. What did he do, you guys? What did he do right there? Does anybody know? He blames Elisha, right? He, in a roundabout way, he might even blame God. Is that going to help the situation? No. You know, and when we go through life, whatever it might be, our focus is like laser-like vision, man. It's his fault or it's her fault or sometimes maybe... You know, you put your eyes even on yourself. And, you know, when you put your eyes on yourself and examine your life, that's a good thing. But when you're blaming others, what we find, you guys, is that is absolutely futile. Of course, we know when we study the life of Elisha that it wasn't his fault. More than likely, Elisha was the one who warned the people to turn from their sin. He probably predicted, he probably prophesied that this would happen if they didn't get right in God's sight. You know, and I know I've heard stories and sometimes people even, you know, they get mad at, at pastors or sometimes, you know, even me because all you're trying to do is you're trying to help people. You're trying to warn people. You're just trying to say, hey, you got to get your life right. You got to be in prayer before you make decisions. You know, you have to turn from your sin. You can't expect God to bless your life if you're living like this, and more than likely, that's what Elisha was telling these guys, maybe even quoting from Leviticus 26, 29, talking about how these things will happen if God's people live that life of disobedience. Deuteronomy 28, 53, the same thing. If only the king would have turned from his sin as a leader, he may have led the people to the Lord. But instead, what does he do? He plays the blame game. And, you know, whenever you do that, I always tell my son this, um, and I'm sorry, I know it's kind of dorky, but blame, blame is to be lame, okay? And it really is, you know, you're just, it's absolutely, it's absolutely futile. You know, as a leader especially, as a leader, you know, what, what can I do about this, Lord? What do I, if that leader got his life right, maybe he could lead the people to where they need to be. You see, it can't be us looking at him or her or this or that. We need to look within, see our own sin, because that's our only hope for help, to change and repent, so that then we can be used by God to help others. 
But we know, you guys, this is something that's happened from the very beginning. It's like the immediate reaction to blame. Remember when Adam and Eve fell in the garden? You guys remember? Who did Eve blame? She blamed the devil. And some of you are like, well, I, I, I should be able to blame the devil, right? The devil made me do it. You guys ever heard that saying? The devil did not make you do it. You chose. You can't blame that on the devil. Well, you don't know my situation. Eve blamed the devil. What, who did Adam blame? The wife. Now, that's a good one, I think. <laughs> that's very understandable. No, I'm just joking. You know, you can't. You can't blame the wife, okay? Even though you want to, and you're like, man, she just knows how to push those buttons, or he just knows, or the kids, or whatever. We have all these excuses, right? And, and then in a roundabout way, Adam said, well, it's the wife, it's the one that you gave to me, God. And all I'm trying to say is that whenever we fall, whenever we're going through life, whenever we're struggling, if you're going to play that game, then you'll never grow. You have to assume the responsibility of yourself. You have to search within for sin. You have to put off the old man and you have to put on the new man. And so here's the king. He's so upset with Elisha. He even vows. He says, man, I, I, I promise that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take his head off, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this guy, right? And so we read in verse 32, but Elisha was sitting in his house. And the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messengers came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how the son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And the king said, Here's the king. The king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And so the king, he wants to go cut off Elisha's head. He wants to kill him. He sends a messenger. Elisha's just kicking it in his house. He's there with the elders who are kicking it with him. And the king sends a messenger before him with not just a verbal message, but a violent message, right? And uh, Elisha knows. That's one of the things about Elisha. He always kind of knows ahead of time what's going on. And so he tells the guy, hey, when, when he comes in, hold him tight right there. And, and while he's even still talking, then comes the king. And it's just crazy what the king says right here. He says, it's the Lord who's brought all this trouble on us. Why should I wait for him even a minute longer? You know, the king He's, uh, you know, and it is a crazy situation. You have to admit, they're eating donkey's heads. They're eating, eating doves, dung. I mean, moms are eating their kids. It's a very difficult situation. And some of you here, and you know, I don't want to make light of it. Maybe it's not this bad. But it's just like, wow, you know. I mean, I hope it's okay to mention the other day we were going to get ready to do a little a little music practice and I got a phone call from Anthony and he had gotten into a car accident, you know. Thank God he's okay, but I'm pretty sure that his car is totaled. Now, if you remember, this is the same Anthony whose car was, the other car was burned, you know, not too long ago. And just like I see a lot of things happening. 
But then I went up to him and I found out there was a car accident. I went over there and I said, man, God must really want to use your life because you guys are going through so many trials, man. You remind me of a young Job. That's what I told him, you know. And I mean, you're going through all these trials and we look at people. I mean, and like, this is so bad. And, and then right here, that's what we want to say right there at the end of verse uh, that verse 33, surely this is from the Lord. It's like, man, why, why should I wait on the Lord any longer? And the enemy comes in and he tries to lie to you. And he tells you to give up. He tells you that nothing good's coming out of this. That you're trying to serve the Lord and you see all your friends. And they're all doing so good and they got these good jobs and whatever. These lives are so fun. They're over there getting drunk and all that kind of stuff. And here I am trying to serve the Lord and I'm just... Man, it's just trial after trial after trial. And that's where this king was, you know. Again, I don't know where he was um, with the Lord. We know there were no good kings in the northern kingdom, but, you know, he did have sackcloth on underneath his clothes. And when the ladies asked him, hey, king, can you help us? He's all, well, if the Lord can't help you, well, what can I do? So, you know, there seemed to be something happening there in his walk. But all I know is that now he's just, he's like done. It's like that was the last straw, Lord. I can't take it anymore. You know, and it's in times like that where you have to hold on to the promise. The Bible says, God says, I will never give you more than you can bear. I won't. He's got, he's got his eyes on you. He's got his eyes on the thermostat. That fire will never get too hot. God is with you, right? And so the king comes in. He's frustrated. He's done. He's done, you know, doing that which is hardest to do sometimes, and that is to wait on the Lord. Apparently, after all this happened, Elisha commanded the king to wait upon the Lord. He probably told the king that he brought this upon himself, and so he needed to be patient. He needed to seek the Lord, and in God's perfect timing, this too would pass. You wait on the Lord. You know, King Jehoram, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I just saw this happen. I can't wait on the Lord anymore. You know, maybe he gave him scripture. Psalm 30, verse 5. It says, For his anger, but is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You got to wait on the Lord. You know, wait for the morning. Wait for the rising sun. Hold fast to your integrity. Maybe share with him Psalm 27, verse 14, where it says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, we got to remember, you guys, because I know it's very difficult, but God's never late, God's never early. God's always on time. And whatever it is that you're waiting for, man, I promise you, God will save the day. And as you're seeking the Lord and you're just, you're in love with Jesus, he will give you the desires of your heart. But you have to wait on the Lord. Even though it's hard sometimes, you must wait on the Lord. You know that classic passage over in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, where God's people, they were saying, well, but God doesn't see me. He doesn't see my troubles. 
You know, I've been wronged and he refuses to even hear my case. That's what they were saying about God. God, you know, doesn't see me. There's 7 billion people on planet Earth. Does God really know what I'm going through? Absolutely. He knows everything about you. He knows all your thoughts before you think them. He knows every single hair you have, every single tear you've ever cried. He knows every time you wake up, every time you, you, you sit down. Before you were ever born, God knew everything about you. He knew all your days. They were all fashioned even before you were conceived in your mother's womb. God knows everything about you. And the devil would love to make you forget that. And that's what the king was. He's like, man, the Lord has done all this. I can't wait on the Lord anymore. And that's where the people of Israel were in Isaiah chapter 40. You know, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see the way I've been wronged. He refuses even to hear my case. They were losing heart. They were losing faith. They were out of patience. They were done And Isaiah says, absolutely not. That's not true. That's a lie. God sees, he hears, he knows. When you're tired and you're weak and you're worn out, God's all loving, God's all powerful. He's on the throne. You can trust him. You're being tested. You are being tested right now. And so you have to wait on him. You have to trust him. He will bless your life big time. But you got to go through the fire. And when you're tested, you know, how many of you guys, um, do you remember when you were tested in school? Do you guys remember that? Did you like that? You know, and when you're tested, a couple of things happen. Number one, it reveals you. And number two, it refines you. You know, this church is being tested. It reveals you. Where are you at? Where are you at? It will, we'll find out, right? We get tested. And it just comes out, what's revealed. And then, as we go through the fire, then we get refined. See, it always works that way. And as God tests us, then God wants to work out this thing so that we can come out, like Job said, you know, like gold. He wants to purify us. Isaiah 40, they're in this whole thing when they're wondering whether or not they can, you know, trust the Lord, whether or not God really sees. He says to them, In Isaiah 40, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I remember a while back, um, how many of you here, when you were younger, you used to run a lot, just out of curiosity? And you don't run anymore because you're old, huh? A lot of times that happens. Or if we, you know, we get into shape, you know, it's kind of cool what we can do. But um, imagine that, walking, never fainting. You just keep walking, keep walking, running, and you don't, and you don't get tired. You know, that would be so cool. I, I do my treadmill and I start running, like for about a minute, you know, and then I go back down to my walking, right? I'm trying to work up my stamina, but imagine just running, running, and you never get weary. How about this? Imagine flying. Now you're talking something very, 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 very supernatural. You see, and that's what God wants for our life. You know, that's what God wants. Not just merely what man can do. God wants to take you farther and higher 
than you would have ever thought. And the only way that will happen is if you wait on the Lord. And you've got to wait on the Lord. And whatever the situation is, you have to wait on the Lord. And that doesn't just mean, you know, your, your foot's, I'm, look, hey, Lord, come on, it's already, you know, 8.15, where are you at? Not like that. Not like that. It's like, you know what? I give this to God. It's totally yours, Lord. Totally yours. I trust you. I trust you. I know you love me and I know you're on the throne. As a matter of fact, I am so excited with what you're doing. There is this great anticipation. There's an eager expectation when you're waiting on the Lord like that. And I promise you, Isaiah 40 says, you're going to mount up with wings like eagles. It's a seven foot span, 10,000 feet high. Traveling, sometimes flying at 75 miles an hour, able to see miles away. God will totally blow your minds when we stop walking in fear and worry. And when we stop, you know, just demanding things in my way and in my time. We just say, God, I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Because I know you're on the throne and I believe in you. See? And that's what we need to do when we're waiting on the Lord. You know, there's no need to tap out or freak out. No, your life is in God's hands. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until that command is given. Basically, waiting on the Lord is like, man, you're just like here and you're listening and you're waiting for marching orders. You know, to wait on the Lord means, again, great expectations and anticipations. And you're excited. And even though you probably wouldn't have written your life out like this, uh, you know that your father knows best and God's made a promise. And so we need to be patient and we need to be prayerful. I love what we read in Luke twenty four forty nine. It's an example of waiting on the Lord. Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And the word tarry is kind of like the word wait. The Lord said this, I've got a promise for you. I've got a promise for you. And for them right there, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, so this is what you got to do. You got to tarry in Jerusalem. You got to wait on the Lord until you're endued with power from on high. You know, and that's one example, I guess you could say, of waiting on the Lord. You know, where you know there's a promise. I don't know how you're doing in your walk. Maybe you're here today and you look back over this last, you know, few days or weeks or months or who knows, maybe longer. And you're like, you know what? I have not been walking in power. I have not been walking in the Holy Spirit. I have been walking in the flesh. 
totally, totally in the flesh. And God is just saying, well, I got a promise for you. You got to go and you got to wait on the Lord. And in this case, you guys remember what they were doing in the 10 days between Jesus' ascension and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you guys remember what they were doing? They were praying. They were praying with one accord in the upper room. They were just praying. Sometimes that's what waiting on the Lord is. You're praying. But a lot of times we don't want to do that. See, waiting on the Lord. I believe, you know, I think a prayer life, it shows, it speaks volumes about whether or not you really believe in God. You know, a lot of times we want to be Jacobs and we want to go manipulate things and we want to take that steering wheel and we want to make it happen. And God says, no, don't do that. First pray. And then you wait for commands. Just waiting on the Lord, you guys, is so important. Here we see the king doesn't want to wait on the Lord anymore. But notice what you read in chapter 7. It says, and then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he, Elisha, said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not Eat of it. And so, you know, Elisha, you know, tossed to the king and he says, well, here's the word, man. Tomorrow, tomorrow God's going to blow your minds. Elisha replied, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of fine flour will cost only half an ounce of silver and ten quarts of barley grain only half an ounce of silver. And, you know, and, and to him, you know, it, it almost sounds, it's just too good to be true. You mean to tell me God's going to really answer my prayer? God's going to bless my life? I mean, in such a, an amazing way? You know, but here we see this guy, this officer, he, he doubts the Lord. But we know, according to Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, that nothing is too hard for the Lord. It says, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and outstretched arm, there was nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. the Lord says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me, no matter what the situation is? Nothing too hard for the Lord, right? I'll keep tithing, Lord, because I know you'll provide. I'll keep trusting, Lord, because I, I know you'll guide. I'll keep waiting, Lord, because your choice is is best. I'll keep praying, Lord, because I know your your people are blessed. See, there's that faith that the enemy is trying to destroy. And Jesus said in Matthew nine twenty nine, he he Jesus touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, let it be to you. See? And I'm not saying, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. We're not talking about that health, wealth and prosperity doctrine. But we are talking about believing in God in such a way that it would honor him. And then we have that faith, you know, the, the life that God wants us to live. 
with mere men, this whole thing about food and all this, it sounds pretty impossible. And it is impossible, but not not with God, right? According to Matthew 19, 26. And so Elisha speaks the word of the Lord. And, you know, the king's right-hand man, he questions God's word there in verse 2. And, you know, look at, again, verse 2. He says, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? You know, and when you look at that right there, it's almost like he doesn't like, like flat out say no way. If you look at that right there, just real surface, he just kind of questions it. Is that, that's not possible. You know, and so it really, it makes me think twice about, you know, questioning God's word. You know, we need to be really careful with that. You know, he, he doubts it. He, he questions it. And so Elisha then, you know, shares something crazy there again at the end of that passage. In fact, you shall see it. You're going to see it, but you're not going to eat of it. And we'll talk more about this later. But look what happens in verse three. It says, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we're only going to die anyways, right? And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Did you know that your enemy is already defeated i mean that's crazy you know a lot of times we don't think about that but you know on the cross of christ jesus he defeated the principalities and powers he disarmed them he defeated death we read in first corinthians chapter 15 if god is for us then who can be against us you know, and these leprosy guys, you know, they're there at the gates. They're not allowed into the city. Some people believe well, there was a Jewish tradition. It's not real strong, but they believe it was actually Gehazi and his two sons. We don't know for sure. But all I know is it's kind of funny how the Lord will use uh, the hobbits, if you know what I mean, you know. <laughs> the Lord will use the lepers, you know. I remember one guy, I, I, was, I went to a, a pastor's conference one time, and I think it was uh, James McDonald. He was there sharing as well. And he said, one of the qualifications you have to be have as a, as a Calvary Chapel pastor is you have to be a former drug addict. That's what he said, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can think of some pastors that, that don't, uh, didn't do drugs before they were Christians, but many of them were just these crazy sinners, guys with no hope in life, lepers, and God used them. God, God saved them. God gets all 
the glory. Here you have lepers who are going to lead the way to victory. They're like, hey, we're going to die here anyways. Let's go surrender to these guys and see if they'll give them some of their food. And when they go to the you know, the army of the Syrians, they find that they've already been defeated. God caused them to hear these chariots to such an extent that they all, they just fled. So amazing what God will do. And so we read in verse 8, And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank, and they're eating pizza and burritos and hamburgers. I mean, they're just grubbing, right? And they carried it from silver and gold and clothing, and they went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent, carried some from there also, and went in and, and hid it. It says, and, and then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. And now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so they went and called to the gatekeeper, that's as far as they can go, of the city, and told them, saying, we went into the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. And so the king arose in the night and said to his servants, let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and, and get into the city. Notice again, he's doubting, you know, Elisha's word. And one of his servants answered and said, well, please let you know, several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city, and look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. And therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And when they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste, so the messengers returned and told the king, and then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour tortillas was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Wow. Wow. And in your life, one day, you will look back, and you will say, wow, look at what God has done. If you live your life and it's just logic and it's just, you know, well, this is, you know, the smart thing to do. And you don't pray and you don't wait on the Lord and you're not living by faith. Then you probably will never get to see what God will do. You know, but I, I think that we, we don't want that. I think we want to see what only God can do. Warren Worsby said, if you can explain it, then God didn't do it. And when we're praying and we're seeking the Lord and we're taking steps of faith, and we're out of our comfort zone and, you know, we're traveling to Cambodia, wherever it is, you know, wherever God calls you, it's so cool. You know, you look back and you, and you realize only the Lord could have done this. Only the Lord could have done this with my, with my kids or brought this type of reconciliation or, or whatever the case may be. You see, 
that's what happens and that's what we want. Every time we get together, I always pray, Lord, let it be you. You know, I don't want, we don't want what man can do. We want what only God can do. And that's what we see right here. These guys go out and they're just blown away at how the Lord has defeated all their enemies. I mean, it took time to get there. Don't get me wrong. They went through a lot of hard times before this day of victory. It took time to get there. But they held to the Lord. Elisha held to the Lord. And the Lord showed himself strong. And one day, and I don't know when that day is going to be, you guys. I don't know. I want to encourage you to keep following the Lord. Maybe it'll happen next week. That would be cool. Maybe it'll be next month. Someone says, hey, you know, we've got a building for you in Almani. It's uh, 25,000 square feet. It's all free. You want it? You know, that would be really cool. You never know. God, God can do that in a split second if he wanted to, right? Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Maybe it'll happen five years, maybe 10 years, or maybe it won't really happen until the day we're on the other side of time. And when we're there in heaven, we're going to look back and we're going to say, wow, look at what God has done. But that's the day that I long for. And I promise you, it'll happen if you keep following the Lord, if you wait on the Lord. You know, these uh, leprosy guys, these guys with leprosy, it's kind of funny. They're in there, and they're having a good time. They're eating. They're, you know, checking out some really cool clothes. they got some nice, uh, you know, weapons, and they're really excited. And then it kind of hits them. They're like, hey, it's wrong, you know, for us to hold this to ourselves. And is this a quick side note? I, I think it's wrong for us to hold the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves. Look at what God has done. Look at the way he's defeated the enemy. There's a sin of silence. I want to encourage you to go out and to tell everybody the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what these lepers were convicted of. They went back. I was talking to one brother today, and he was telling me about how he's sharing at work, and I can see the fire inside of him. I can see the fire in his eyes, and it's just so cool when you're around people like that. And I was telling him, hey, it's so cool. That's what you're doing, man. You're sharing. You can't hold. And he's just all, it's overflowing. I just can't hold it in. And that's the way it should be. It really should. And so when this whole thing happens, they're all grubbing. In verse 17, it says, Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate and he died, just as the men of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. And so it happened, just as the men of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two sayers of barley for a shekel and a say of fine flour, tortillas for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And then the officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. And, and we close going back to that guy who questioned the prophecy. You know, he was the king's right-hand man. He was a man of prominence, a man of position, but he was not a man of God. He doubted the power of God. He doubted the creativity of God, who really did kind of in one sense open the windows of heaven. And he doubted the messenger of God. 
You know, he opposed this work and he maybe would even be used by the enemy. This is maybe why Elisha got upset because he was maybe planting seeds of discord or doubt into the heart of the king. And that's not what God wants. If God gives a promise to someone, who are we to be there quenching that? You know, when we get the word of God, we hold to it. Someone might prophesy over us. We don't despise it. We test it. But we know God can do things like that. And what ends up happening? Well, the king sets the officer there at the gate. And have you ever been around a person who's really hungry? Like really hungry? Some of you here, when you get really hungry, you're in bad moods, right? You get grumpy, right? (laughs) You can usually tell, hey, man, you need to eat, right? But obviously, this is much, much more serious. I mean, we're talking people who haven't eaten in, you know, maybe 37 days. And they find out there's double-doubles right around the corner. And all of Israel runs. You know, and we've heard stories like this before. I was reading the stories in the Philippines. November 26th, last year, eight people died, trampled to death that they were running for a plate of rice. Or in China, 21 people were trampled to death where a horde of starving Chinese Christians fought for food that missionaries brought or you know, you read stories in Zamfara, Nigeria, all around the world about people dying, getting trampled to death, just like we read right here. And what we find in the end is that this guy is a, is a lesson and he's a warning to me. He's a warning to me. We don't have time to turn there, but if you get a chance, read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 or 1 through 8 about the unstable man. See, the Bible says if you want wisdom, just pray, ask of God. He'll give it to you liberally and without reproach. But don't doubt. James says, don't doubt. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's an unstable man, unstable in all his ways. He's like a guy in the in the in the ocean and You know, the waves are just tossing him all over the place. That's the Christian. That's the man who doubts. And what God is just trying to do is he's trying to anchor us into this faith. And I know it's hard. I've been through times and, man, where in my life, I'm like, Lord, I I just, I, I felt like I couldn't even function. I didn't want to get out of bed. Didn't want to go out and whatever, be with the boys. And I was with the boys, but I didn't even know how to talk. I've been there. I know how difficult it was. But God, through those times, he's taught us, hasn't he? I'm still with you. I love you. My grace is over you. And, and, and as you go through those times, you're supposed to grow. And there's no other way around it. There's no other way you're going to grow unless you go through those times. But you don't want to be like this guy. This unstable man. See, God's given you and me some amazing promises. And my prayer, you guys, is as we read through the Bible about all his promises and all his truths and all the amazing things that God has for us, the way that he loves us unconditionally, the way that he has a home for us in heaven, the way that he has still this plan all laid out, Jeremiah 29, a great future for people, even like us, man, it, it, I want you to hold on to those things. 
You know, in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it talks about the faith of Abraham, how he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he had a faith that was strong. You know, and that's where we need to be. You know, my son, I was telling my son about this lesson today. And, uh, and it was so cool. You know, he reminded me that when Pastor Chuck gave his last sermon, he said, Dad, Pastor Chuck in his last study, he was teaching out of Romans chapter 4 about the man who didn't waver at his faith, about Abraham. And you want to know something, Dad? He said, he told the whole story of 2 Kings chapter 7. The story that you're sharing today about how there was that one man who wavered. About how there was that one man who heard the promise, but he didn't believe that. And he questioned God. And in the end, he died. That was Pastor Chuck's last sermon. And when I heard that from my son, I was just, I was just convicted in my heart. And I said, wow, how appropriate that he would give that lesson. Because in many ways, Pastor Chuck was a man of faith. And he believed the promises of God. I tripped out on Pastor Chuck, to be honest with you. When I heard the memorial, and there he is on a Saturday night working on his car. And I'm like, man, you're supposed to be studying. You know, how come you're working on your car on Saturday night? And all that type of stuff. And then the Lord really just ministered to me. And he said, at the end of the day, he really had faith in the Lord. He really had total trust and confidence in God. And as a result of that, look at what God did in his life. I want to learn those things. And I pray that you would too. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Believe in his promises. And you watch, just like we read today, God will open the windows of heaven. And he will lavish you with his bountiful blessings. Trust the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, today. And just the things that you're able to do, Lord. I just pray for these beautiful people, Lord, that you continue to encourage them and strengthen them in whatever situations they might find themselves in today. Lord, I pray for all the Christians, God, that you would just help us to take steps, help us to grow, Lord. Help us to seek you in prayer and the word and fellowship and obedience. Help us to listen to your voice, even the prophecies that you have for our life. But Lord, I also pray for any here, and I don't know, Lord, but maybe there's one or, or some, Lord, that don't know you. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that today would be the day that they would turn from their sins and they would trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's something that only you can do, Lord. Only you can save a soul. And together, Lord, we pray that you would do that in every single heart. Lord, we just thank you and love you. We praise you. Be with us now, Lord, as we sing, as we end the evening, as we go our way. I pray, God, that you would continue to work in our lives. 
Lord, we love you so much and thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.